When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Once again, we are are talking today. I'm talking today about the uh, the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Uh, I mean, again, and this is something I've been covering for well over a month, all the way back to a little bit past midway in January. I think January twenty first was maybe when I first discussed it. And and most of my podcasts, if not all of them, since then have been on that topic, and and I think that's appropriate. And and today marks. Um, yet another milestone in this. It's hard to say one day from the next, you know, which one's more significant because each day we're seeing larger and larger outbreaks and, and larger and larger responses by governments and corporations and by the public. And and today, you know, the the big event that at least captured the, the attentions of the markets was the Federal Reserve finally and and I'm not necessarily, you know, but people expected it sooner, I guess. Finally, the Fed has stepped in and cut their key uh, interest rate, the Fed funds rate, by a full 50 basis points. That's a half a percentage point. And, and I'll remind you, it's the 3rd of March today. Okay, this is not a Fed meeting. This is an emergency cut, right? And basically, you know, Jerome Powell kind of gave his usual shtick, um... The fundamentals are good, but you know we're we're trying to keep the markets propped up. No, I mean, he didn't say that we're trying to keep the markets propped up, but that was to some extent, you know, implicit. They can say it was to to support you know the the plethora plethora of companies and and consumers that are entirely saturated in debt and and run the risk of mass defaults if the economy slows down significantly, which it is right now. But but that's not what he said. But but what. So that's interesting. What I think is even more interesting is how the markets have responded since then. Uh, as I speak, the Dow Jones is, and this is a little after noon on the 3rd of, of March, the Dow Jones is down almost 500 points. The U.S. 10-year yield is kind of retesting record lows, currently at 1.03% and dropping. To put that in context, 1.028 now, to put that in context, um, if you look at a year ago, the U.S. 10-year was over 2.5%. If you look at, you know, six months ago, the U.S. 10-year was, uh, you know, around 1.5%, and that was considered low, right? And it wasn't that long ago that, you know, a low rate for the U.S. 10-year was it was like 3%. Four, I mean, we're just talking a matter of years. And it continues to drop along with, I'm sure, all these other global bond markets. The, the yield, obviously, meaning the price is, is ballooning higher, right? Much, much higher. I mean, there's a huge bubble in the stock market that we're seeing implode. And we're seeing a bond market bubble being blown up further because of a flight to safety. And flight to safety today, we have seen, we've seen it in the bond market, but we've also seen it in precious metals, gold especially, after actually seeing a pretty significant pullback, uh, especially like late last week and, and early this week, um, really rocketed back up over $50 uh, since since midnight. So, you know, 40 some dollars today. 
uh, currently sitting around 1645, and that's that's what you would expect to see from gold in this situation. Silver, well, you know, it was below $17 an ounce to start the day on the news of the Fed rate cut, uh, up about, I don't know, half a dollar. But it's it hasn't gained, you know, the ratios opened up, I believe, and and, and the rate uh, it hasn't gained hasn't held those gains as consistently as gold has, which you know we, we'll see. You know how much longer that that trend continues. But again, yeah, the gold to silver ratio today uh, moving up a little bit, testing ninety six up from you know around ninety five earlier. So um, yeah, I mean markets are responding to this, and they should. I mean, this continues to spiral out of control. And actually, one country I wanted to, to take some time to talk about was Iran. You know, as a, as I as I speak right now, Iran's official death toll is, uh, and I'll check here just to to, to confirm what, you know, my memory, I guess, was, was 52 last time I checked. That was their official death toll. And so if we look at this here, uh, and it's actually moved up, okay, 77, okay, which is which is a fair bit, but, but um, I think does not represent... The, the true situation in Iran. And, and I think this is demonstrated by their, the number of cases actually that we've seen in like the higher levels of their government as well as their parliament. In fact, uh, I read, uh, this is from Zero Hedge, 10% of their, their parliament actually has been confirmed to have the coronavirus. And and I wouldn't suspect, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, I should say, if that wasn't higher in, as far as asymptomatic cases go as well as people that have maybe been exposed but haven't, tested positive yet but 10 percent now we, we don't want to make the assumption that that is representative of the entire population because it's a it's a cohort that is in close proximity to to each other you know government in general government workers officials they're gonna be in, in close proximity to each other and so you don't want to say that 10 percent of iran's population has a coronavirus but i don't think it's a stretch Right. Um, if anything, you know, it, it could go either way. Right. You could make the argument that their parliament is is more insulated to this than the broader population. But just for kicks, just for kicks, bear with me here. Let's say, OK, so 10 percent of parliament, a lot of officials, I think there's four fatalities already in the higher levels of the Iranian government. Let's say at this point in time, 5 percent of Iran's population has a coronavirus. That's four million people. Right. And if you say, you know, one, one and a quarter percent, that would be, you know, about a million people, which is far higher than their, their official number is a little over 2000. And, and we're seeing evidence pile up from videos and, and accounts of whatnot of, of basically mass graves, tons of body bags that are, again, not consistent with 77 deaths, maybe something closer to like 7,700 deaths, something along those lines. But, but the other thing I think is interesting about this is, is the, I guess uh, assumptions people are making right now in terms of of uh, the doubling of this virus, the doubling time, and a lot of what I've seen thrown around is a week, and obviously that's flexible. It's going to spread faster in something like a cruise ship or a nursing home than it would to the broader population. Uh, it's also going to depend on you know, basically the R not and and how are people modifying their behaviors in response to this vi- in response to this virus and obviously that's occurring now in Iran i mean streets are basically empty there but but you know a week or two ago that probably wasn't 
the case, uh, not a huge modification to their behavior. And so let's say, you know, 5% of the population, 4 million people. If you look at the doubling time and then say patient zero, you know, made it to Iran, oh, you know, mid-January, you know, that comes up with a doubling time much less than, than seven days, maybe closer to five days. And again, in a society that's not really practicing much for social distancing. If if patient zero, uh, and I should say that's not even mid-January, that's probably closer to the beginning of January or December for, for that. I mean, if, if you moved it to mid-January and let's say a couple patient zeros came in, right? A couple of people simultaneously flew in from Wuhan or from China. Um, you're still at, at far less than a week in terms of the doubling time. And I think that's what we've seen in South Korea and Italy, that the doubling time of not confirmed cases, but actual cases on the ground early on has a doubling time of, of far less than seven days, maybe closer to five, four, maybe three days, depending on the environment, depending on, uh, you know, the population and whatnot. Um, and, and, and I think you have to also apply that for the United States then and, and realize that most of the United States at this point, with the exception of, you know, the West Coast, parts of the West Coast are not, and maybe, you know, parts of the East Coast, some large cities are not really practicing much in the way of social distancing. And so even though, you know, our uh, healthcare system in the United States is, is probably hopefully superior to that of Iran's, um, the social behavior is probably pretty similar to what it was in Iran a couple weeks ago in most of the United States. And, and remember, there, there's probably thousands of, of cases in the United States, probably hundreds outside of what people think of as hot zones, Washington or, or Oregon, um, um, California, New York, uh, probably hundreds outside of those places. And there's little to no social distancing or modification behaviors in a lot of those places, meaning that doubling time is probably less than a week at this point in time, right? And then you look to a place like a, like Northern Italy where the doubling time is probably far greater than a week by now, maybe a week, week and a half. Um, but, but you know, some research, which has really been astounding, showed that, you know, the R-naught of this is, is clearly very high, you know, four, five, six, potentially. Um, but that even with a lot of these measures, it's uh, the R-naught is still only being brought down to, you know, two and a half. I think that was a figure that was cited by a Los Alamos study. Uh, and, and that sort of makes sense when you consider the factors, the, the characteristics of this COVID-19. Uh, what I mean by that is that let's say you're infected and your goal is to infect less than one person. I mean, that's what happens, has to happen across the broader population to bring that r not number down. And remember, most of the population, the vast, vast majority, has no immunity to this, really, and and most likely would become infected. Um, Let's say that 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 happens, okay, and and you're trying to to not infect anybody. Well, first of all, you need to somehow do your best not to infect anybody for that period of time where you are asymptomatic, but potentially contagious. Maybe not contagious as far or as contagious in general, maybe you'd be more contagious to your, you know, close family or your spouse or something like that because you're in closer um, um, proximity to them, more easy to to spread. Your relatively low, you know, amount of viruses that you might be expelling through through respiration or whatever else, right? But still, 
less than one. That's your goal. But then you move into the symptomatic period. And, and if you live by yourself in an apartment, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, even, you know, even if we're, we're going to say, you know, it can move through the ventilation shafts and, and whatnot. I mean, I, I don't know about that yet. I mean, that's still up in the air, but, but still, you know, there's a risk that, Hey, you're, you need food and you go out, right? You are, you got a pretty good chance of spreading it to somebody and you might be symptomatic for a number of weeks, maybe a week, 10 days, two weeks, not symptomatic. Yeah. Symptomatic. Right. Um, and, and then there's always the risk that you uh, you have to go in, go into the clinic, go to the hospital because you're just in that bad of shape. If it gets bad enough, you might need to, to call, you know, EMS, call for a, a, um, an ambulance or something. That all increases the odds that you're going to spread it to somebody else. If you end up in the hospital, probably plenty of people are going to catch in the hospital, healthcare workers and other patients. I didn't have it beforehand. And then even once you're not symptomatic, there could be a uh, more asymptomatic spreading on the other side of it afterwards, right? And so when you look at it, I mean, this is a several week period to say that you're not going to expose yourself, uh, expose anybody you know or, or anybody you're in proximity to, expose them to this um, coronavirus. That becomes pretty difficult. And you can understand why they are not in a basically non-immune society is still probably going to be well above one, even with the social distancing. Does that mean we shouldn't practice that at all? No, I don't think so. Ideally, you know, if this is going to move through a population, it moves through at a slower pace because, as I said before, you know, if the healthcare system in the U.S. or Iran or India or Italy or wherever isn't totally overwhelmed, then that increases the the chance for survival, right? So in a non-overwhelmed healthcare system, the death rate might be like 1%. In a overwhelmed... Um, you know, Chinese city, it might be three or 4%, 5%, maybe more. In an overwhelmed um, third world country, like, like India, or, or um, I'd consider them a third world country, or um, Somalia, or, or Venezuela, or even parts of Mexico, that death rate might be six, seven, eight more you know, percent. And the other thing to keep in mind is that this death rate is, is always going to be changing. And, and you can't just divide deaths by cases right now because A, we don't know all the cases and B, well, a lot of those cases are, are still early on enough where it, it would be unexpected to see them die at that point, right? And you look at the SARS virus, right? For, for a good chunk of its time spreading, that death rate was at, you know, three, four, five percent. But then later on, once it really stopped spreading and there's just the people that had it, um, they still had it, obviously. Well, their their illness progressed and a good number of them died. And all of a sudden, when it was all said and done, the death rate was like 10%. And that was in a pretty decent healthcare system, right? And so the same could be true for the same will be true for this one, that we won't get a good sense for that case fatality ratio until it's really burnt through a population or it's really been brought under control. And in a population and a government that can accurately record number of cases and fatalities and is going to be honest about it, which, you know, is probably not going to be the case for, for China, probably not the case for Iran. And I'm not entirely confident in, in most other countries around the world. There's some good ones, though, that I think we're, we're continuing to get decent data from South Korea, pretty decent data, um, even Italy, uh, um, you know, some of these other countries that are starting to see 
significant outbreaks. France, Germany, Spain, the UK. Um, still pretty terrible data, though, for the most part, out of a lot of those countries, including the United States. But, but anyways, I'll be back again tomorrow, most likely, with another follow-up on today's podcast. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, and God bless.